it's been amazing to me, like I was telling people from the last week from the Stuart Christmas Parade, great, great thing. You could tell the guy who was an announcer had some religious background or whatever, but every time a float came that had something to do with Christmas and that presented the gospel and brought up the name of Jesus Christ, you could almost feel a hesitancy in him to speak the name of Jesus because it's like, are we allowed to do that? And that's what society has even done to us. Man, to try to actually find Christmas channel or Christmas stations and Christmas things that actually have to do with Christ. The, the, I, I asked Keone, I said, have you ever gone caroling? I was telling him back when we were little, dude, we'd all put our stocking hats on in Orlando in 90 degrees, man. And we'd walk around and people make Christmas and we would sing all the songs we knew were all about Jesus pretty much. And, it's, and so, again, the world purposely is taking Christ out of Christmas, but he can't take Christ out of us. And, and, and again, that's not what we're going to look. That's why we're going to go into Christmas here is so that, uh, again, it's just a reminder. If we don't keep reminding ourselves of what the word of God says, then we're going to be, we're going to be filled with what the world has to say and stuff. I will tell you this, at the end, when you read the book of Revelation, when you read Zechariah, you read all the prophetic books, book of Daniel, all of it, what you will see in the end is there is going to be a one world government, there's going to be a one world um, uh, economy, and there, thank you, Ashley, uh, you've heard this before, a one world government, <laughs> a one world economy, and there's going to be a one world religion. And, and, and most people here have not had a problem seeing a one world government. Obviously, our presidents from as far back as I can even remember have been members of trying to put us into globalism. And it keeps getting further and further and taking us out of a nationalistic government and becoming part of the world. If you don't see that, it's because you you're not looking. It's, that's, that's what's going on. It's easy to see that. A one world currency, wow, you can't see that. Oh my goodness, one world economy. It is, it's all about globalism. It's all about coming, and I'm not preaching on that today, but those are easy to see. But what's been hard to see, and most Christians have had a hard time seeing, I have had a hard time seeing, is how do you have a one world religion? How many of y'all ever see the coexist sticker? You know what I'm talking about? Coexist sticker? Well, you know the fallacy of that? The C stands for Islam, and if that were reality, the C would eat all the other letters. I'm just saying. That's what Islam is, right? In there. And so, so again, when you look at all of that, it's like, how in the world could you have a one-world religion? Well, let me ask you a question. What is, or I should say, who is the problem with Christianity? Why can't Christianity participate in a one-world religion? Who is in the way of that, Mac? Who's in the way? Mac, I got to retrain you again? Here's the deal, bro. All right. All right, Scott, help, help Mac out, all right? I know he, this is, you're not in Wisconsin anymore. I know you're used to sleeping in church. I know you're used to sleeping in church, and you're looking like, <laughs> not here, bro. Sorry. So, so, Scott, watch this. How many of y'all know what the answer is when I ask you a question? Yeah, God. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but in reality, the problem with Christianity is Christ. You guys check it out. In this world, you can mention God. You can talk about God and lift up God and honor God. But the moment you mention the name of Jesus Christ, the moment you mention Jesus Christ, that is where you are going to have fighting words with the rest of this world, especially those who do not believe in his exclusivity. He's the one that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. 
That's, he's the one who did that. You're, and so what has to happen for this one world government is Christ has to be pulled out of Christianity. You're like, you can't pull Christ out of Christianity. Yes, you can. The world's doing it right now. I know pastors, and I'm adding an S, so if you think you know one that I know, I'm not picking on this guy, because some of you do know them, but I'm talking with an S, plural, in the world I'm living, where pastors are telling their congregations this morning, the word of God is not the final authority. And you know why they're doing that? Because they don't believe in things that have to do with the word of God. I know pastors, S, there's an S, that's plural, so if you think I'm picking on one guy i'm not it's amazing to me i know pastors that do not believe there's a hell if there's no hell there's no purpose for a savior there's no purpose for christmas but again the reason when you start denying these doctrines that are in the word of god and these things are in the word of god it's going on it's in wisconsin mac i'm telling you it's everywhere because the world has to pull Christ out, not Christmas, but out of Christianity. Christ is the offensive one in the world religion. If you can get Christ out of Christianity, then you can blend all of this together. And little do all these folks who are unbiblical know they are pawns in the hand of Satan. And this is being set up for the Antichrist because this is how you're going to have a one world religion. Go check out the current Pope, y'all. Again, I'm not bashing Catholics, I'm not saying that, but go check out the current Pope and where he stands and what he's standing for and where he's going with stuff. You're watching Christ being pulled out. You're watching people, pastors, religious leaders pull stuff out that doesn't coincide with the Bible. So when all of a sudden you're saying there's no hell, there's no this, there's no that, guess what you can't use to support your view anymore? The Bible. So now you've got to say the word of God is not the final authority. I'm going to tell you, with everything I have in me, the word of God is the final authority. June 27, 1988, when I sat, uh, I knelt down on that hassock. I had done every sinful thing that you could imagine on, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. He called me to preach. He called me before I even knew I was for sure saved. He called me to preach, and he gave me a desire and ability to believe his word and everything in it. And I'm going to tell you, when I first started as a young man with an accounting degree, with this, with that, smuggling weed from the Bahamas, all these different things I did when I came to Christ, and he gave me that desire to believe that. I put his word to the test. I came to his word originally. Parish, I came to his word saying, dude, that is not how we were taught in college to do it. It ain't going to work. That is not how, that's not what my friends in society who are succeeding in the world's ways, that's not how they say to do it. But yeah, God, he said, you still want to be your boss? I'm like, no, I don't want to be the boss of my life anymore. That's why I gave it to you. Then do it my way. I'm like, it's not going to work. He said, try me. And I did it his way. And slowly, he's like, whoa, it works. <gasps> Any of y'all had that discovery? It's not the way you want to do it, not the way the world says to do it, but you do it and it works? How many of y'all experienced that? Let me see your hand. Yeah. It works. And then it was like, okay, God, there's no way this is going to work, but I know it's going to work, and I can't wait to see it work. And guess what? It worked. Now, now, I can't wait to see how God works it out and blows the world away by doing it his way. And I don't want to get in the way of not having it done his way. I can't wait. I have full confidence in the word of God. It is our final authority. 
It is the only truth that we have in this world. And that is why I believe the Holy Spirit of God brought us last week back to Christmas. Because, again, I'm not like going to make bumper stickers, put Christ back in Christmas, whatever. No, you put Christ back in your Christmas. That's what I'm talking about. Me put Christ back in my Christmas. But i got to know what the Word of God says. And again, like we said, Rick, in the fullness of time. From eternity past, I'm not going to preach on the whole thing, I promise, I'm not going to preach any of it, but from the fullness of time back when the beginning, when there is no beginning, and God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, when they were all together and had no issues, they planned on making man, and knowing man was going to have to have a choice because they created man to worship him, and knew that man was going to make bad choices, and man would need a Savior, and Christ was designated as a Savior. And then I took you all through Israel's history from the beginning of, of Abraham, and creating this, this the, the country or the nation of Israel for the whole purpose. The whole purpose of Israel was to bring us the Messiah. And God made promises to them. We went through it all. And even though they blew their end of the deal, God still kept promises. And in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time, God brought forth his Savior. And that's what Christmas is about. It's all about Jesus in all of this. And so now... I'm going to read this again in Galatians 4. I'm not going to preach it. I promise I'm not going to. If I start preaching it, man, y'all just raise your hand and say, you're preaching it, all right? Because I, I, got more, I, got, I got a bunch to preach on today, Terry. Oh, man, more than just two verses like last week. But anyways, we got, we got, I don't even want to tell you how many verses we got, but there's a point, and I'm going to make it in here. But he says, but when the fullness of time had come in Galatians 4, God sent forth his son. His son was him. He is the way, the truth, the life. No one can come to the, to the Father but through him. He was born of a woman. Hey, Marley, where's Marley at? Hey, if uh, he, he was going to save barracudas, what would he have to become? A barracuda, but he was going to save people. So what did he have to become? People. He had to become one of us, right, to be our substitute. So God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that married to the law, he could fulfill the law, be the only one that would be perfect, and he could die on a cross, and we could die with him when we give him our life. That's what we've been learning in Romans, all right? So, but the point is, in the fullness of time, when God thought the timing was perfect, I'm talking from eternity past, when God thought the time was perfect, that's when he sent forth his son. How many of y'all issues with God's timing sometimes? Anybody here have got issues with God's timing? Julie, raise your hand. You got issues with God's timing, man? Yeah, you know? JT, you got issues with God's timing sometimes? When you were younger and impatient, right? But now that you're like a patient, old godly man, you're good, man, right? No, I'm just messing with you. But no, but, but in the fullness of time, that's what God did. So now we go into the next section of this. Uh, oh, it was to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. We preached on all that last week. If you'd like to go back, you could listen to that. But now we're going to look at a couple of people. We're going to look at Zechariah and we're going to look at Mary. Hopefully we're going to hit both those fairly, fairly quickly but thorough enough. So before we decided that we were going, before the Holy Spirit decided we were going to do this in here, he had already had us doing it in our Wednesday night Bible study I shared with you. And so I told Ben and all of them in our Wednesday night Bible study last week and Fernanda, I said, you guys are going to help me preach my message on Sunday. I'm going to get illustrations from you guys. I'm going to get aha moments from you guys in all of this. And one of the greatest things happened 
on last Wednesday night. And by the way, you're always welcome to come to that Bible study on Wednesday night. We'd love to have you. We sit in Fernando's uh, living room on the couches. They even built new couches and made more parking space, all kinds of stuff, man. You're welcome to come. We just open up the Word of God. We look at it. And we see what God has to say. We keep it on track. It's in context. But in there, it was interesting because we were kind of talking about trust with Zechariah. What you're going to see with Zechariah is God gives him the greatest news in the world, but he's kind of like, dude, this can't happen. And then he gives Mary the greatest news in the world. She says, well, it's going to happen, but I just don't know how. That's the difference between unbelief and belief. It's one thing to say, like Zechariah did, how, how can I know this is going to happen? If you have to be proven to know this is going to happen, it means you don't know what's going to happen now. God's word is not enough for you. Mary said, I know it's going to happen, but I just don't know how. This is kind of tricky. And there's a difference in that. And, and Ben's wife, Kelly, uh, she's not here today, so we can talk about her. And uh, in this, Ben will defend her if he, she needs it. But this is actually pretty good. So in this, it was like Kelly kept just saying, she was speaking for all of us. She kept saying, I need details. I need details. God said he's going to do all this, 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 this. But I, I like to, how many of y'all want God to give you some details? Because you're in. Give me details. It's not enough. Man, you know, I understand faith. Okay, faith. I just walk. I walk by sight. I don't have the details, and there it is. But I need details from God in this. And we're dealing with that because most of us, that's where we are. We need details. When we don't follow, we need details. And so God, the Holy Spirit, gave me this question, you this scenario to throw at Ben and Kelly on behalf of all of us. And I was like, Kelly, Ben, raise your hand just so they know who you're talking about. The big romantic teddy bear man that is just creative. And if you want great Christmas ideas for your special spouse, go see this man because, yeah, he, he's got them, all right? So here's, here, here's what was suggested by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, whether he's going to be obedient and do it or not is another thing. But here, here's what, what, what the Holy Spirit was saying. is like, man, Kelly, what if Ben were for Christmas or your birthday or a special event what if he were to prepare this special like uh, treasure hunt, not scavenger hunt, treasure hunt, <laughs> you know, take you to this one place, this little romantic place for like, you know, hors d'oeuvres or whatever. Maybe it's out at the beach and he's made them himself or hired a chef, whatever. He's brought them all there. And then from there, what if he then took you to another place that would be like so romantic and so awesome? And then he was to take you to another place for like dinner. And Cindy, what are you thinking? You think that would be cool if Bill would work out something like that where, you know, oh, you, Bill, no pressure, bro. I know it's your last time at Driftwood. I got to put some pressure on you. You'll be back in May. I get it. You know, you're reverse snowbirds. But look, man, Bill, you got dinner. You've got dessert. You've got the man just hanging out under the stars. I planned a full moon. It's beautiful. Oh, there's a lunar eclipse. There's, man, everything. I'm looking at the ladies. They're all, these ladies, look at your face, dude. Dave's like, that's a lot of pressure, bro. But, the ladies are like going, oh, it would be so awesome if he would prepare something like that for me. That would be great. <gasps> oh. And so in that, imagine the most awesome night planned from event to event to event where you're, man, the center of attraction. And man, it's just one thing after another. And it's just a, you go home and you're just like, oh, you know, how many of y'all think that would be cool? Ladies, raise your hand. So elbow your husband as you're raising your hand. Hey, ask me for more uh, Christmas gifts, all right? <laughs> more ideas. But, 
But in that, we were talking, I was talking to Kelly, what if Ben, because I could see Ben doing that. Ben, ben is one of them spontaneous guys that likes to do that, man. That's why I think God used him as illustration. But man, I said, Kelly, if Ben planned that, he just said, let's go. I got a night planned for you. Would you need the details? Now, maybe some. Well, what do I wear? What do I do? And he gives you back. But, but the idea is, would you need an itinerary? Now, my wife, because she doesn't trust me, would need an itinerary. I'm messing with you. <laughs> Tell me, would you want an itinerary? Yes, because you're a type A person and you never know what's possible with me. Because Valentine's Day, we ended up in the middle of the woods. She thought we were hunting one time and we weren't. But anyways, that's another story. I multitask, so come on. No. <laughs> so anyways, bottom line is, why would Kelly not need an itinerary from Ben? Why would she not, why would she, could she just go with the flow? Why, why would she, no, now I'm not going anywhere until you tell me this, 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 this. Okay, I started in the car, here we are, but you know what? Hey, wait a minute. Now, uh, this first part wasn't what I was expecting, but now I need to know the rest of the details. I need to know this, this, this. Why would you need to know the rest of that? Because you don't trust them. You know, if you trusted them, when he made it and you started out on the, even if the adventure started like walking through a swamp with sawgrass, not that I've ever done that with my kids or anything before, but it walks out and you're getting your legs cut and there's gators over to your right and your left. Even though it starts out that way, dude, if you trust them and you know that they love you and you know that the situation's going to end up good, you do go through that. You do it. You, you follow. So that's what kept coming back. Kelly, would you need been to give you an itinerary? Would you need him to give you a moment by moment by moment? By... No. And she said the most profound thing in there that's been sticking in my head like that fullness of time has been sticking in your head. This is what she, she said with God? She said, yeah. She said, I think all I'd have to know from Ben or God or anybody else is that it was going to end up what, Ben? It, it was good. She said, all I'd need to know is that it was going to be good. And I could go anywhere with them. I could do anything they wanted to do for any duration of time, any situation, as long as I know that it's going to be good. Hey, let me ask you a question. How do you define good? Hey, I'm going to give you a chance to practice what we just taught you, man. How do you define good? God. God, yes. <laughs> <clears throat> all right, all right. That's it. That's it, man. Here's something from my child ministry days. If you take God out of good, what do you have? Nothing. You got nothing. G-O-O-D, for those of you who are still working out. G-O-O-D, take G-O-D out of G-O-O-D. There's, there's nothing. God is the definition of good. God is all that there is good. We're told in Scripture every perfect gift comes from God. From the Father, it, it comes from Him. And so again, it was cool when Kelly just said, yeah, as long as I knew what Ben was doing was good. All I got to do is be able to trust them to know that it's good. And then I can, then Ben I'll follow. I don't need an itinerary if I know it's going to be good. Hey, Sam, with God, is it going to be good? Yeah, because if you take God out of good, you got nothing, right? All right. We'll do that next time we're in Moonswiners, right? All right. But anyways, God, you take God out of good. Yeah, there's nothing. It's it. And so again, 
That's your walk with him. So faith comes down to love. It comes down, it starts with love. Through the Spirit is love. And when you love him and you know he loves you, man, when you, that love develops, then somebody who loves you is going to do things for you that are what? This is a different answer now. Got to add one more G to this one, Mac. One more G. It's not God, but it's good. Yeah, someone that truly loves you is going to do something good. Julie, is there anyone, Julie, uh, is there anyone that loves you more than God? No, no one, period. So can we trust, Lucinda, that whatever adventure God has got us on, forget the one Tom's got. He's working on one right now for Christmas. I already know it, man. All right, all these husbands are working on it right now, that like, you know. But the adventure God's got you on, can you trust that it's good? You know why? Because his word says, listen to what his word says. Romans 8, 28, y'all know that verse? For we know that all things work together for, help me out, for good to those that love God and those that are called according to his purpose. And he goes in the next verse and say the good is that God's going to get glory out of it and that you are going to become more like him. So that's the key in trusting him. Is no, no, you don't need an itinerary. You don't need a schedule. If you do, that is an indication as to where your faith is and where your view of God is. Ooh, that hurts, doesn't it? Doesn't that hurt? Because sometimes we're like, ooh, I don't know if I can trust God that it's good. God's not going to do it when I want it done. God's not going to do it the way I want it done. God's not going to, you know what? That's an indication as to how big your God is, who your God is, how close you are. And maybe God's taking you through this situation to make him be a, you to recognize he's a bigger God than what he is in your life right now. He's got to grow. What the little baby, little girl one time, she said, this is an old pastor, preacher joke I heard back in the day, that, man, she said, if God is so big and he lives inside of me, guess what, Selma? God, is God big? And he lives inside of you? Shouldn't he stick out? Yeah, you know, he should stick out. So now let's look at this and let's see how Zechariah kind of lost it for a moment and how Mary kept it, all right? The difference between unbelief and belief, and we're guilty of both. Someone as awesome as Zachariah in that moment could be guilty of unbelief the same way we are. But this message about Christmas is to encourage us to believe. So Zachariah, in the days of Herod, uh, we've been talking about this in our small group, so again, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about Herod. I will say this, that Herod was so good to the Jews. He's a scoundrel, but he was your typical politician. He was so good to the Jews that a bunch of the Jews got together and formed actually a political party to support him. So he would keep being good. They were called the Herodians. You ever heard of the Herodians? Those are, because he built them a temple. In fact, even in the time of Christ, he was still building a temple. One time, there was a famine in Israel, and he actually sold and melted some of his gold so that he could feed the poor people in Israel. He's done great things for Israel. But he was just like any other controlling person. He's going to do great things, but he's expecting something in return. And he was also a very jealous, very kind of unstable guy. He had nine, maybe ten wives. One of them he killed for kind of no reason. He killed multiple children because he was scared and jealous that they were going to try to usurp his authority and take over. So you see, he's just kind of like, <laughs> you never knew what you're going to get with him. But he was a politician. Come on, man. There you go. And so it was going to, you know, he wanted peace in, in this area that he was supposed to rule, and then he could rule as king. So anyways, that's who Herod was, but it was during his time. He was the king of Judea, 
uh, which is where the Messiah was going to be born, there was a priest named Zechariah. That's kind of more important than Herod. It, Herod just sets us up at the time period. But there was a priest named Zechariah. There was temple worship because, again, who built the temple? This time it's not Mac. This is a different answer. It's not God. Who built it? It's Herod. Herod built the temple, yes. And, and it was a beautiful temple. In fact, you guys remember even at the end of Jesus' ministry, as they're going out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus is walking with his disciples, and they're like, oh, look at this place. Oh, isn't this phenomenal? Isn't this beautiful? And that's where he said, yeah, he said, but it's all going to be destroyed. It's all going to be piled on top of each other. It's going to be, it's going to be gone. I'm the temple is what he was saying. That's a whole other message. But there was a priest named Zechariah. They were worshiping in the temple. They tried to make things back to normal again where they had 24 different groups or divisions of priests like they had back in the day according to, um, uh, what's the C word in the, in the Old Testament? Ashley, help me out. The, uh, help, help me, the, the book in the Bible. Chronicles, thank you. Chronicles, yes, yes. It's in Chronicles, First Chronicles, where they made the 24 divisions, all right? And, um, of, of, and he gets put in this one, not that he's from that line, because by that time it was messed up. They were just trying to have 24 divisions. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. So she was brought up as a priestly kid. So, man, they were like priestly people. They've always been in the tabernacle or the, the temple. Uh, they, they knew their ins and outs, and they truly were righteous people. They believed God. Look at this. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. And by the way, that's where we got your name, your middle name from, Ashley, right there. Spelled the same way. Oh, it's not? Dude, mom lied to me? No. <laughs> I was like, all right, anyways, another one. We'll talk later. All right. <laughs> Elizabeth, it means, it means an oath from God. Because your name, Ashley Elizabeth, means peace because of an oath from God. Unless mom lied to me about that too, but no, I'm just messing with you. No, I know it's true and I'm in trouble already at home. All right, but so, but look at this. Here's the important thing about her. Look at this. Check this out. <clears throat> they were both righteous before God. Hey, what does that mean? <clears throat> You're righteous before God. All right, let me ask you a question. How many of you think it means that you do everything God wants you to do? You've done everything. You're as close to perfect as you can be. How many of y'all think that's what righteous means? Good, because you have been listening as we've been preaching through the book of Romans. Righteousness comes through what? What's the F word? Faith. Say it again. What's the F word? Faith. You can't say that everywhere. Faith. It's faith. Yes, righteousness comes through faith. It doesn't come from perfect behavior. Is there anyone with enough perfect behavior? Marley, can you be perfect enough? Remember, your mom and your girlfriend are sitting on either side of you. you got elbows on both. Can you be perfect enough to be considered righteous to God? The answer is no. No, because has Marley messed up recently? Yeah, has Marley messed up recently? Yeah, so you've already blown your perfection right there, uh, all right? So again... For, so righteousness does not, and you read this, sometimes you might think that, oh, righteousness, where's Austin, dude? I told him I was going to pick on him today. Oh, that's why he's not here. No, no. Oh, okay, we'll be praying for Austin and his family on that. Um, so they were both righteous before God. But again, how, I, I bet you were taught this. I bet you've read it. I bet you thought about it this way, that righteous before God means, ooh, I always do the right thing. Always do the right thing. How many of you have ever thought that was the definition of righteousness? Yeah, that's not how we've learned in Romans that you become righteous. Abraham, was he perfect? 
<laughs> how about, yeah, Holly, how about the time that he said, oh, Mac, Mac, y'all are in like another state and they think you're good looking and they want you. And Mac's like, oh, she's my sister. Don't kill me. <laughs> Would that be a good thing to do? No, that's not righteousness. That's what Abraham did, right? That's what Abraham did. So he's not perfect, but his righteousness was counted. He, he believed God. What did God tell Abraham to do? God said, hey, I want you to leave. <laughs> leave everything you have right now and go. Okay, God. And, and I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make your name great. I'm, I'm going to bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. And I'm going to bless the whole world through you by sending a Messiah through you. I'm going to start a whole nation through you. And he believed God. Did he ever see any of that really happen? No, not most of it. But he believed God and he went and did what God said as best as he could. But again, was he perfect? Not by any stretch of the imagination. But by believing God and believing that he was going to send a Savior, that's what made him righteous. And again, so with Sarah and Abraham here, they were not perfect by any means, but they believed God's in a, in a dark world. People that were running, doing, making decisions based on political, you know, parties and different situations, they still followed God's law. They still followed as best they could, and they knew when they messed up, they needed to do what? What do you do when you mess up? Help me out. When you, how many of you messed up with God recently? Yeah. What did you do? Do you? Yeah, you pray, you repent, you say, God, I'm sorry. God, I don't want to mess up. God, I want to do the right thing. I want to do what your word says. That's part of your Christian faith is repenting. Sin bothers you. And, and, and you're upset about it. And you're like, God, I know I'm forgiven, but I want my relationship with you restored right now. And so that's, they did things God's way as best as they could, but they knew they couldn't do it perfectly. So they were counting on one day God sending who? The Messiah. They were believing, everybody who got saved in the Old Testament believed that one day God would send a Messiah. Everybody in the New Testament, including us, we are saved believing God did send a Messiah. That's what made them righteous was by their faith. So if you're trying to be righteous by your actions, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Dude, you're going to have to redefine what right and wrong is to be perfect because you are not perfect. You need a Messiah. One sin, the wages of sin we learn in Romans chapter 6, the wages, what you earn from sinning once is you earn a free trip to hell. The wages of sin is eternal death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So again, you by sinning have earned a free trip to hell, but Christ came to give you a gift of eternal life. You have to accept it, but if, you don't, if you're still trying to get to him through being right, through being good, through being faithful, through being all those things, you're still trying on your own merits to get there and you're still lost. When you finally give up and say, God, I can't get to you by any other way than your perfection, that's it. And when you come to him, as we learned in Romans, you get married to him, now he's your spouse, now you try to please him and you do what he wants you to do and now you actually do the law. And we'll get back to that after the beginning of the year. But they were both righteous. I want you to get this right. They were not, just like Job. These guys weren't perfect in their actions. They were righteous by faith. That's the only way anyone has ever been righteous before God is by faith. But that's their salvation. Now, now look, look at this, this next part. Is, is that, that what we're supposed to do? We get saved and then now we can live any way we want. Is that what happens? We get saved. Chuck, can we get saved? And then we just go live however we want because now we got hell insurance you send me to the gates of hell, I'm going to show you my salvation card and my hell insurance, and I'm like, oh, is that how it works? 
No, you get saved. You fall in love with the one who saved you. And now there's a process called sanctification where you become more like him. And that's what they're going through here. They're, they got saved. They're both righteous before God by faith. Now they're walking, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, meaning that they're trying to figure out, what do you want me to do now, God, and do it? What do you want me to do now, God, and do it? That's sanctification. But Mary, do you, are you always successful? No. Are there certain people that can push buttons on you? And as you're walking, God, please help me. And God, help me. Boom. No. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that what happens sometimes? We're not perfect in this sanctification. But then when you do kick somebody, it's like, oh, God, I'm really sorry. After you've apologized to them and you try to do it different next time. But your intention was not to kick them. The flesh came out and you just got them just good. Yeah. That's what happens in sanctification. So, we're not, so these people weren't perfect by any means, but their desire, David, oh my goodness, David, JT, you know much about King David. You like worship. David liked worship, right? You know much about him? Uh, he was a man after God's own what? Heart. But was he perfect? No, dude. When a king should be out in a battle and, and, and he sent all his troops out, he's up on, the, up on his porch, kind of just sunning, and he looks over and sees a naked lady over, yeah, out the window. And it's like, no, no, can't. You know, he didn't resist that. He went after her. He didn't care that it was the wife of one of his mighty men that would go, that would die for him. And he took what he wanted out of lust for her and got her pregnant. And instead of fessing up, man, he went even further than that. After that, he tried to get Uriah to come home and, and get him drunk and hang out with his wife. Because when you get drunk, you do things. You have courage to do things. You wouldn't have courage to do any other way. And so he, he tried to get him drunk and have him do his thing. And then he could say, oh, that baby's yours. That baby's yours. No, Uriah said, oh, how could I leave my fellow soldiers in battle? While I'm here enjoying my wife. Oh, what a heart. Stabbed to David's heart. And he went back. Tried to get him a couple of... Then he, here's what David did. A man after God's own heart. A man who walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. That's David. What did he do? He told his commander, Uriah, he said, Hey, you guys go to the most heated battle there is. Walk up there. Make sure that... Oh, not Uriah, but... Uh, who was the head commander? I can't remember. But anyways, he had, he had Uriah, uh, which was Bathsheba's husband be at the forefront of battle. And when they got to the heated battle, he said, now nah, you blow your whistle and everybody runs and leaves him there. And he got murdered. A man after God's own heart? What do you think about that, Terry? Man after God's own heart. To be a man after God's own heart, after he murdered him, what do you think's got to happen? What, what has to happen for us, uh, Scott? Got to repent. Yeah. And it's not just, oh, I'm sorry, God, now let me live my life. No. In fact, when you read Psalm 51, that's David's psalm of repentance. You want to know what a broken heart is. He said, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. He didn't say restore my salvation. He didn't lose his salvation. He lost his fellowship with God. He said, God, get me back on the right track. That's what a man after God's own heart. So I'm saying when you wander, there's consequences. Marley, remember that. You wander, there's consequences. More than just Uncle Chuck over there busting you over the top of the head. I'm just saying there's consequences, right? There's consequences when we make decisions. And we've got to live through those consequences. But, man, we've got to repent and, and have God restore the joy of our salvation, that fellowship with him in all of that. 
That's what it means. So it doesn't mean these folks were perfect. They got saved through faith the same way as us, but they were walking blamelessly in all the commandments of the Lord. Every time you mess up, Terry, all right, here's God, and this is the world. I'm walking with God. You ever been there? Woo, walking on sunshine. You know what I'm saying? Actually, like, please don't sing, Dad. <laughs> Actually, my wife. Yeah, have y'all ever been? How many of y'all have been walking on sunshine? Walking towards God, and it's like, woohoo! Anybody been there? Abby, you been there? Come on, y'all raise your hand if that's where you're at. Let me just know you're still alive. Y'all scared your deodorant ain't working no more? Is that what it is? All right, if you're walking towards God, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you get lured away. Anybody there? All of a sudden, you get kind of slowed down, get a little distracted, a little distracted, and all of a sudden, now you're walking opposite direction from God. Yeah. Anybody been there? If not, you're, you're a liar. That's what I'm just saying right now. You're right there, because that's what John said. John said, you say you don't sin, you're a liar, all right? And, and you're calling God a liar. So, yeah, when you find, perish, that you're not walking with God, do you just quit and say, oh, well, that was a fun ride having with God? No. Do you go hang out in a cul-de-sac and like, well, I guess this is where I'm stuck now? No. How do you get back to God? If God's there and I'm here, how do I get back? Turn around. Oh, all these nice songs, man. Y'all help me with these songs. Yeah, turn around, man. Turn around. That's what that word repent literally means. At whenever you find yourself away from God, turn around and go right back to him. The act of turning is the act of repentance. And then you start walking back to him. And you know what? Is there going to be joy when he's at your back or joy when he's at your front? When he's face to face with God. What do you think is going to be more fun with God, Selma? Face to face, man. Just like you and your dad, man. Have you ever have you ever had an issue? Never had an issue, but one day you might have an issue, man. Is it going to be very fun when you're running from him? No, because he's going to catch you. I'm just saying. And he ain't God's way faster than him. So yeah, you turn around, deal with the issue, get it straight, because that's God's intention is to get it straight. And then you can have the joy of your salvation again. That's who these folks were. In a dark world that was as dark as our world, they were both righteous before who? God. That's what's important because the world thought they were losers, all right? But God thought they were winners. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But, <laughs> there's one in buts in the Bible, right? But they had no what? Oh, man. What was, what was a woman's worth? In that culture, especially when knowing God wasn't showing up again, uh, you know, in that until they, you know, a Messiah showed up. So what did every woman want to be the mother of the Messiah? And if not that, I mean, you were judged by how many kids you had and stuff. If you were barren, you were cursed. And you remember last week I told y'all that one of the religious groups, the ones running the temple where the Sadducees didn't believe in anything eternal. And here's what they believed. They believed it was here and it was now. I'm rich, you're poor. God loves me and he hates you. It was the same way with kids. I got kids, I'm blessed by God. I don't have any kids. Um, you're, you're cursed. So they're righteous for God, but what society think about them? Yeah, woohoo, EJ. Society is probably like, you did something really wrong. I know y'all look good on the outside. I know you're serving. That's just a cover up. You guys are, you messed up somewhere. Otherwise, there's no way you'd be without kids right now. They were so sure of it. And society shunned them. But yet they kept walking with God. No matter what society thought about them, they continued 
walking with God. And maybe, just maybe, God was saving him for a special kid, you know? <laughs> I've read the end of the story, have you? <laughs> but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. What did that have to do with anything? Well, you know what? You remember Abraham and Sarah, right? How, when did God finally give them a baby? When they could do nothing about it. When they were all but dead. Then God said, boom, there's a baby. So, again, you may be looking at your circumstances and seeing all these different things. There's no way, there's no way, there's no way. You stay faithful to God. You stay faithful to God. And do what God wants you to do. Be who God wants you to be. And you want, and it may be hard. You may be fighting all of society. You may even be fighting the church. You do what God wants you to do. These people stayed faithful, not only in their salvation by faith, but their walk with him. And in and, and society, can you imagine they're going to church and they're trying to be righteous and all, everybody in church, hey, Scott, y'all walk into church and everybody going, pfft, there's a guy, there's a guy, there's a guy. You know what happened to them? You know what did this? Hey, how many of y'all ever thought people in church were talking about you? Yeah. They don't care. What was it? Eleanor wrote, no, I'm just saying, they probably were at some point or whatever. Hopefully not here. What was that? Eleanor Roosevelt, she had a saying. She said, if you knew how little people talked about you, you wouldn't worry about them talking about you. Something along those lines. I'll, I'll read. That, no, she just basically said, if you're always worried about people talking about you, find joy that they really... The point is that people aren't really talking about you that much. But them, dude, they were shunned by society. Society kind of excluded them everything. But they stayed faithful. Would you rather be right with society or right with God, y'all? God. And sometimes that's not going to make you right with society. So they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. No hope of having a kid if you're advanced in years, right? In fact, there might not be a desire to have a kid if you're advanced in years. We have grandkids and we now know why grandkids are better than kids because we get to give them back. And, and also grandkids, man, dude, if I was trying to raise kids on the energy level and patience level I have now, y'all would have died. <laughs> there would have been murder. <laughs> no, but... But in the fullness of time, you and JJ show up and we give them back. <laughs> but we love every moment we have with them. It's awesome. As like Keone every day, he's like, can I spend the night here? Can I spend the night? Like, I'm cool. Ask me. Because <laughs> I know she'll say, you know, no, if it's not supposed to be. But we love having them. But now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty. So here he is. Uh, and by the way, there were 24 of them, 24 divisions. And each priest had to go twice a year, not the same time. So it was just their job. They showed up in Jerusalem at, uh, uh, twice a year. On two different weeks, they and they would dedicate two weeks to uh, working in the temple. So Elizabeth probably wasn't even here. In fact, she wasn't here at this point. He just on his own going on that twice a year um, business trip that he has to go on to work in the temple, all right? And, uh, and his division was on duty. According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So this was special because they would just do this, but they would choose three guys <coughs> in the temple. You had the outer wall. You had the inner part. This was a big brazen altar where they burned stuff. There was the labor. Then there was a holy place, which was inside. And then inside there, there was a big, thick 18-inch curtain that separated anybody there from the Holy of Holies. And what was inside the Holy of Holies, y'all? 
Yeah, the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, the cherubims, it was God. So even though God wasn't giving any new revelation to them, God was still there. And by their, their traditions, this is tradition that they had. And, and it, it talked about how the high priest would have bells on his garment and a rope around his ankle. And once a year when he went into the Holy of Holies to offer that sacrifice, that he had those bells that if he kept moving, you could hear the bells. If you didn't hear the bells moving, hey, Sean, go in and get them. No, that's what the rope was for, dude. We're yanking this dude out, right? God's presence, <coughs> God's presence was there. But God was giving no new revelation. God was doing no miracles. He said, the next revelation, next miracle I do is going to be when I send the Messiah. So those of you who want to still worship me according to the law, I've still got this going on. Come on in. So he didn't get to go into the Holy of Holies. But right before the Holy of Holies, there's an incense, a table of incense, an altar. One of the guys would bring the, the, the incense in. Another guy would arrange it. And then those guys would leave. And the one dude, which is Zachariah here, he actually, on this time, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, got to go in, and he got to light it. He got to light it. And it represented, as the smoke went up, the prayers of the people. And all the people who were there were worshipers. Not all of Israel was there. A bunch of people were, and, and, and they were praying for a Redeemer. They were praying for Messiah. They were praying for Israel to come out of oppression. And he's representing the prayers of the people right there. This is a one, he's 18 inches away from the Holy of Holies. Once in a lifetime opportunity. But yet it's done twice a year. I mean, twice a day. Uh, it'd be done in the morning, done around three o'clock, which is probably what we think this one was. He was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to actually burn the incense. And he represented the prayers of the people to God Almighty. That's as close as you could get at that point in time. But yet that's all that usually happened. And after that, what would happen is that guy would then walk out and the other two guys were still outside and he would talk. He, they would go with them and then they would present the Baroka, the blessing out of out of Numbers chapter six. And then they moved on and church service was over. Nothing unusual. But here, the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. While he was offering the prayers of the people with the incense, people were out there praying, God, send a Messiah. God, redeem Israel. God, get us out of oppression. God, make it the way you say it's going to be in the millennial kingdom. Make it good. The whole multitude of the people were praying outside in the altar of incense, like they did. And there appeared to him in there. While he's in there, the, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense all right and this isn't the lord it's an angel of the lord and in fact we even have his name anybody know what his name is gabriel he's the dude that basically every time god's got a message he sends it through gabriel he's the angel that that gives the messages right so there appeared to him an angel of the lord standing on the right side of the altar how long has it been since a priest had seen an angel and supernatural angel of the Lord in there. How long has it been, y'all? No, as a trick question, it was five. <laughs> but, but yeah, it had been 400 years since they, that when God at Malachi said, no, I'm not giving you any fresh revelation. I'm not giving you, I'm here, but I'm not, you know what? I'm, I'm here, but I'm not showing up, you know, to give you fresh revelation and miracles till the Messiah comes. But actually, if you go back to the book of Zechariah, he was the last priest. 500 years prior to actually see an angel in there. And you can go check that out this afternoon instead of watching whatever stuff you watch, man. But, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord 400 years. <gasps> hey, Sam, 
Let's just say that all of a sudden you come to my table. All right, and, and uh, Anna, you now work at Moonswiners, right? By the way, I don't want to lose my tax-exempt status, and I say that every week by pimping business. But Moonswiners, dude, they ain't open today. They, it would be good if they were, but they aren't. All of a sudden, you saw me sitting there at a table, right? All right, we're there. And yesterday, and imagine you go off and get my ribs, and you're coming back, and instead of me, there's an angel of the Lord. Well, I'm not saying I'm an angel of the Lord. By any means, that's all I'm saying. I'm replaced. What would you do if there's an angel of the Lord sitting at that table that you're now delivering ribs to? What would you say? All right, help me out, y'all. What does everybody say when they see an angel? One, two, three. Ah! And then what do they do? They fall over, right? And then, Tom, what do the angel, what's the angel always say? <laughs> oh, don't be scared. <laughs> what a, this has got to be an angelic joke they play all the time when they get to do this. But you would think they would give a warning. But yeah, I can imagine going to the table, delivering, and I'm not there, but there's an angel. <gasps> Have you ever seen an angel of the Lord at a table at Moonswiners? Anna, how long have you been working there now? For three days. Have you ever seen an angel of the Lord at a table at Moonswiners? No. Sonny, uh, man, yeah, yeah, we've never, I, I didn't even see him at Sonny's, man. It's, you know, now Sonny's ain't here no more, but all you can eat chicken, I miss that on Sundays, man. $9.99, but it ain't here no more. But anyways, I digress. But so here, 400, 500 years, nobody has seen this. He's terrified to say the least and it appeared to him an angel of the lord standing on the right side of the altar instance so he's right there in the middle there's 18 inches between him and the mercy seat him and the ark of the covenant he's there and this angel this is a real thing this is not just some he wasn't eating mushrooms out of cow patties this is like dude he you can look that up you don't know what i'm talking about but don't do it <laughs> but yeah this is for real. The angel of the Lord was right there. Oh, what a privilege. What a privilege to be in that position. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. You ever see understatements in the Bible? <laughs> you know, Zechariah was troubled. I'm troubled. No, it was, ah! He was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. You ever think about why fear fell upon people when they saw an angel? Angels are before God. Angels are pure. Angels are holy. Angels are clean. Jack, you ever been out in the woods, man? And that's a dumb question, but you ever been out in the woods, man? You got a bunch of buddies or even your family now, you know, you're out in the woods and y'all are all just muddy. You're just covered, man. That's a good way to be, right? But it, it, it doesn't matter if destiny's just a little less muddy than you. No, dude, you're all just muddy. You know, you say, now, what if somebody walked up into that little slough with pristine white outfit and they were just clean? You know, you'd be like, Whoo, how'd you get all the way out here in the swamp? And, and, and again, so the reason people freaked out over angels was because they were pure. They were holy. We have a way. We live in mud. We're all covered with mud like Jack and his family out in the woods. And we get used to what it's like. And it's just we judge people by, oh, you're a little cleaner than me. You're a little cleaner than me. You see someone perfect and pure and clean and holy, an angel, it shows you your sinfulness. It shows you your dirtiness, how far. When we compare ourselves to the other sheep, man, I, I'm not doing too bad, right? You come down to Florida from Wisconsin where everything's all pure and holy and everything, and you know, except your politics, and you come down here, man, and you see the hodgepodge of all the greatest people in all the world collect here in Florida, right? You're like, ooh, yeah, these people are messed up. We're cream of the crop here, right? 
But again, that's what I'm saying is angels are holy. And when we see something that's truly holy, it reflects on how unholy we actually are. And that's why they freak out. Zechariah was troubling Psalm and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him again, hey, Tom, what the angel say? You don't even have to look, bro. What the angel say? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You knew that. Don't be afraid. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Whoa. How long do you think it had been since Abraham or since not Abraham and Sarah, but since Zechariah and Elizabeth had been praying for a kid? You think they were praying just that morning for a kid? Yeah, that morning they were probably praying for a Messiah, okay? And, and, but they'd probably given up that prayer long. Hey, I wonder how many of y'all have given up a prayer? Any of y'all ever given up a prayer? I want you to raise your hand, but I want you to think about that in your heart. You know, it probably max guessing probably 50 years, right? 40 years, 30 years, 10 years, whatever. But they gave up this prayer. Man, and he says, your prayer has been heard. Wait a minute, what? What prayer? We're going to have a What? <laughs> wait a minute what we're gonna know your wife elizabeth will bear you a son and you'll call his name john that's angel gabriel so he goes you will have joy you will have gladness and many will rejoice at his birth so what so is this going to be a celebration or is this going to be a, 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 a dirge what is this it's going to be a can you imagine uh parish he said, you're going to have joy and gladness and everybody's going to be stoked. Is this a good thing or a bad thing? Is this a happy moment or a sad moment? Have you ever seen somebody take a really good moment and blow it? <laughs> That's what he does. It's like, this is an opportunity to survive or I me mean, to celebrate. This opportunity for us to be like stoked about it. Woohoo! What? My wife and I are going to have a kid? Awesome, God. With you, nothing's impossible. We're going to have great joy because you're going to give us energy to raise this kid. We're going to have great gladness and everybody else is going to be stoked. And, and his name's John. Okay, tell me more about it. And so God tells him more about it. He says, for he, your kid, will be great before the Lord. Oh, how many of y'all, I remember Mac one time, we were out there on an island. It was below 70 degrees, so we didn't get carried out by way about those seams and by mosquitoes. And by the way, you see it below 70 degrees coming up on a Tuesday. You let me know. We will get boats together and we go out to Wesley's Island and we will have a Bible study. Right. We were out there at a the Bible study one night, laying, laying around a fire, watching the sunset, talking about the word of God. And it came up and Max said, just casually, he said, I'm just convinced that God gives us kids to keep us driven to our knees, <laughs> to drive us to our knees. Like what? Would you all agree with that? Yeah, God gives you kids to keep to drive you to your knees because you realize you don't have what it takes to raise them. It has to come from him. Every bit of this. So here, God's got to give them the desire. He's going to be great before the Lord. Wouldn't that be your dream to have your child be great before the Lord? Isn't that what we're all praying for? And, and, and don't. Yeah. So he said he and then he goes on and says, OK, so he's going to have that that numbers chapter six. Vow of the Nazarite on him. The only one. Does anybody remember the last person in scripture to have the vow of the Nazarite for life? What was it? Samson. Yep. And Samson blew it. <laughs> he, uh, a he-man with a she-weakness. <laughs> but he, he blew it. But this kid is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Here, here, listen to this. This is what the vow of the Nazarite is. You can, it's something good to apply in your life. But here's what God said in number six. He said, hey, Julia, 
you want to get close to me? Julia, do you want to hear from me? Julia, do you want to, you want to just have some intimate fellowship with me? And Julia goes, yes. Let me hear you say, yes, of course I do, Lord. And so he says, all right, here's a vow you make whenever you're ready to make it. Nobody makes you make this vow. You do it on your own. It's voluntary. And you do it for as long as you choose to do it. But he said, here's the three things that you're going to do. He said, one, Julia, I, I don't want you to cut your hair. I don't want you to shave your legs. I don't want you to do it. <laughs> like, Julia, I'm getting modern with this now. Like, he said, don't mess with your hair. And, and, and again, so he's saying to us, if you want to take this vow, sacrifice your appearance. Whatever you invest into your appearance. How many of y'all invested into your appearance to be here today? Y'all getting your money's worth? No, I'm just asking about it. But no, literally, how many of y'all invested into your appearance today? Every one of y'all did something, right? So what he's saying is, don't invest. The time that you would invest in your appearance, invest that into me. During this time that you have set aside, nothing for your appearance. So however you woke up, dude, that's how you're going to be. How many be like, oh, Lord? <laughs> or you'd be like, oh, Lord. <laughs> and you think about that. However you look when you woke up, man, God's totally safe. He thinks you're the most beautiful person in the world, you know? And that's what's important. So he's, don't, don't invest in your appearance. And then he goes on, he says, and oh, by the way, don't take any fruit of the vine, any strong drink, any wine. And don't eat any fruit, you know, basically. It's all in number six. You can look at it. So what he's asking to do is asking you to sacrifice your appetite. We call that fasting now. Anytime you're hungry, you offer that as a time to spend with him. You feast on him instead of satisfying your physical appetite. So he says, sacrifice your appearance, sacrifice your appetite. He says, and then the last one, he says, don't touch any dead bodies. How many of y'all be like, I'm cool with that one. But he says in number six, he goes on and says, that means if your dad dies, that means if your mom dies, I mean, somebody close to you dies, you can't, you can't hug that corpse, man. You can't hold their hand as, as, as they die. You can't be a part of this. So you're, you're sacrificing your affections. That's the vow of the Nazarite. Sacrifice your appearance, your appetite, and your affections. And anytime you want to please yourself with one of those three things, you go to him. And he said it's only for a time period where you do that. You could do that for a day. You could do it for a, a two days. You could do it for a week. You could do it for however long you want to do it. But he said, do it, but don't make a commitment to me and not keep it. You keep that. So he said, you must not drink, uh, this guy must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Hey, what happened when Mary, who celebrated her, her pregnancy, what happens when she went to go visit her, her, her relative um, Elizabeth? And she had John the Baptist six months older. What happened when they met each other? What happened in the womb, y'all? The baby jumped. The babies jumped. There you want to talk about murdering babies. You want to talk about when babies are conceived, when they're babies. Man, that's what's happening there. He was spilled the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Hey, John the Baptist, let me ask you a question. Selma, what did he wear when he preached? Did he have on nice designer suits from New York or wherever, you know, Goodwill, Taylor? No, no. what did he wear? Camel hair. Yeah, dude, any of y'all wore camel hair before? I'm not talking about the nice stuff, but how many suits do you think he had? Maybe one. So did he ever have to worry about changing clothes? Did he ever have to like, what am I going to wear to church? Dude, I wore these baggies last week. They're going to see it on the video. I got to wear a different pair this week. I do think about things like that. No, but that's all I think about, all right, because I wear the same shirt. I wear white ones in the summer, black ones in the winter, all right, but... I'm staying fashionable, all right? That's my fashion faux pas, right? But anyways, you know, did he have to, did John the Baptist have to worry about what he was going to wear? No. 
hey, let me ask you, what did he eat, dude? Did he like, oh, it's lunch break. Let's go to McDonald's. Let's go to, let's go to, oh, dude, is Moonswiner's open? Let's go to Moonswiner. Did John the Baptist go to Moonswiner? What did he eat? Locust. What's a locust? Abby, what's a locust? And it's a good thing because if you're eating grasshoppers, you'd have to eat a lot of locusts, man. You'd probably eat one locust and, and that'd be about, what, five grasshoppers, Marley? So here's John the Baptist preaching. And when this Jesus comes, when he comes, the Holy Spirit's going to remind me. Oh, hang on. Poof, grabs a locust. Gets the explosion of goo in his mouth and keeps preaching. <coughs> he didn't take a lunch break, dude. He didn't take a lunch break. He didn't change his clothes. I'm not saying that's what you got to do. But how much of our effort and energy is, is tied into our appearance and into our appetite? The Lord knows I care about my appetite, right? But our appetite and, and his affections. Hey, where did John the Baptist live? In the wilderness. Hey, you ever think about how old his parents were when he was born? And, and how long did they probably live? They probably didn't live very long, right? As a young child, he probably went out in the wilderness and he lived there his whole life out there. Everything about John the Baptist was dedicated to bringing the Messiah in. Is that good news? You're Zachariah. Would you love for God to say, hey, you, got, you and Holly are going to have a baby and this is what he's going to do. Would you be excited about that? Especially knowing you're going to die in two years, right? Oh, no, free babysitting, all right? Mac's not playing along here, but uh, in that, but yeah, it would be an exciting thing, right? So imagine you now are the first one to hear from God Almighty in 500 years, 400 years. He tells you you're going to have a baby. He tells you that it's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah and all this. When you come out of the temple, dude, what are you going to be? How many of y'all be strutting like a peacock? You know, Terry, what would it be like? You find out all of this stuff and now you out of there. What would you act like? Would you be like, or what? What? Yeah, there you go. Stand, sit, just show. Just come on, man. Help me out, Terry. Say, woo! Yes. Tell him. Tell him what it. I just saw an angel. My wife is going to be pregnant. It's going to be John the Baptist who's going to usher in the Messiah. I mean, dude, could y'all see Terry if he really had that good news? Yeah, he'd be like, he wouldn't be like, oh, well, I'm going to go home and hug. No, he would be like, dude, look, it was the most joyous thing you could imagine, right? There he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Has anybody been filled with the Holy Spirit at this point in time? No. In the Old Testament, God would only put the Holy Spirit on people when he has particular jobs for them to do. When it was an important job and when they were done doing it, then the Holy Spirit would come off of them, right? Dave, you got the Holy Spirit, right? You got saved, and where does he live? Inside you? And does he come and go, or is he there all the time? So if in the Old Testament, he only came for important jobs, and you got him all the time, what job's important for you? Ooh, all of them. Remind him of that, okay? Remind him of that, say, hey, this is an important time. You ever think about that? We have the Holy Spirit all the time. So every encounter is a divine encounter that we have. I see we're not going to get to Mary today, but we're going to finish Zechariah here. He will be great for the Lord. Man, what great news that we have in this. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. I'm, I'm trying, JJ. Oh, there. He will. Um, okay, and, and we'll just. And, and, 
Okay, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. He's going to tell them, all the religion y'all have created in the last 400 years is wrong. It's wrong. Pharisees have screwed it up. Sadducees have screwed it up. Everybody, Essenes were hiding in the caves. They've messed it up. Everybody's messed it up. You, you, it's wrong. But there's going to be a guy come. I'm not worthy to even tie his shoes, man. And I'll enter, I don't even know what he looks like. I don't even know if I've ever even met him, but man, he, he's going to come and I'm going to know who he is and I'm going to introduce him to you. And whatever he says, that's what you do. That's what he, how he's going to turn the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Hey, guess what? At the end of Malachi, the very last book of the Old Testament, that's what he said. When Messiah comes, there's going to be a prophet to come in the spirit of Elijah. He's, a, he's going to be a fiery preacher, just like Elijah. And his purpose, look at this, is to turn the hearts of the, hey, Mac, what's that word say? The, help me out, y'all. Y'all, tell me the word. To the hearts of the what? Fathers. Is that plural or is that singular? It's plural. Look at this. Turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Check this out. It's taking all of, how many fathers do we have in here? Let me see your hands. It's not taking your heart and turning it towards your child, uh, Scott. It's taking your heart and turning it towards all the children. It's taking all of you fathers and turning your heart towards all the children. Can you imagine if men stepped up spiritually today and there were spiritual giants of men turning who were all on fire for Christ? Rick, could you imagine a world like that? Where the men were on fire and, and, and all they wanted were the children under them, the children they see. The cho- Do you think anybody would have any problem, destiny, if it was like that, getting workers for the nursery? Do you think it would be a bunch of ladies? No, it would be all the men stepping up. It would be the men saying, no, I want the kids to know about Jesus. I want them to know about the Messiah. And that's what he's saying that John the Baptist was going to do. He was going to turn the hearts of the fathers, plural, to the children, to all the children, not just their own. And he's going to take the disobedient and turn them to the wisdom of the just. He's going to put it in their heart where, look, man, I got to do the right thing. That's what God wants me to do. To make ready the, for the Lord a people prepared. Because what that means is that if that's God and that's the world, even though they're religious, they're walking in the opposite direction. And the first one God's going to have back there calling is John the Baptist saying, come, come, turn around. And, he's gonna, and, and those that hear from God are going to turn around and start walking. And they're going to be like, well, where do I go? Wait, wait, I'm going to introduce you to the guy. And he introduces them to God Almighty who is in the flesh. And they walk in that direction. That's what that verse, what great news. Would y'all like to live in a world like that? That'd be awesome to make ready uh, for the people, uh, uh, for the Lord, the people prepared. So is that great news or what? Marley, is that good news? Brad, is that good news? I mean, you saw Terry, right? I mean, Terry's just, he's not even an actor. Can you believe that? <laughs> he's not even an actor, but he is a salesman. So he's close. But anyway, but he, he dude, he, he was like, yeah, man, this is great news. This is what we have. We're going to have a bit. This is the forerunner of the Messiah. The Messiah. That's all they've been praying for is the Messiah. Free us from Roman oppression. We've been under, under Assyrian, under, under Babylonian, under Medo-Persia, under Persia, under Greece, and now under Rome. And oh my God, free us. 
And now they have news that's actually going to happen. That's good news, right? Again, Zachariah walks out like Terry, strutting like a peacock, saying, my wife's going to have a baby, and he's going to introduce the Messiah, and we're going to be free from Roman oppression. Is that not good? That's the way it should be, but look at this. This is the guy that blows a good thing. <laughs> Zachariah said to the angel, how shall I what? If you don't know, it means you don't believe, right? He didn't say, how's this going to happen? He says, how can I know this is going to happen? <laughs> I love this part because I don't ever want Angel Gabriel to be talking to me this way, but I remember this, but he said, how can I be sure this is going to happen? I know you said this, but how can I be sure? Send me a sign. Any of y'all ever ask God for a sign sometimes? You, you, sometimes you just need to believe his word, but... God can send you a sign, and you may not like the sign. You'll see that in a minute. So he said, how can I know for sure? It wasn't like, I know it's going to happen, but I don't understand the logistics of it. That's Mary. He said, how can I know this is going to happen? I just don't really believe it. And, and here's why. Gary, what do you say? Look at this. I am old man, and my wife is advancing. You're surely not talking about you two, but I'm just saying. I mean, logically, does that not make sense? Two old people ain't going to have a little baby. Paris, does that make sense? Two old people ain't going to have a baby. I mean, that's, that's, so who's he counting on? And what's he counting on to have the fulfillment of this prophecy? Cindy, who's he counting on and what's he counting on? Not God. What is he counting on? Their virility, their fertility, their ability. They're, he's counting on. And Ashley made, told me not to say Viagra, so I'm not going to say that. But, but, but listen, man, they're counting on themselves. Well, this say God said it's going to happen, but it can't happen because I can't make this happen. Aren't you glad we don't do that? Oh, Eric, aren't you glad you've never told God? Well, God, that ain't going to happen. Scott and I can't do this. And then God, I know you're laughing. I know why, but isn't that cool when God says, look, you ain't got nothing to do with it, girl. <laughs> if it was going to be up to you, I'd take a couple of young whoopersnappers and I could pop out some babies. They could pop out all the babies they want, but... No, this ain't got nothing to do with you. As do most promises from God. They're a promise from God. And he says, so I'm making you a promise. And what do you have to do? But yeah, you believe. And, and, and guess what? Even if you, if you don't believe, is God still going to fulfill the promise? Yeah. He's still going to fulfill. But guess what? You don't enjoy it. This was only a three-foot drop. All right. It's rated a six-foot. No, but <laughs> that's why they bought it, because I'm 5'6". But anyways, yeah. Hey, if I were to tell you right now, I want you to look under your chair, because right now, before service, I came like early, early, right out, and I taped envelopes with $100 bills under your chair. How many? I don't see none of y'all looking, man. Why aren't, why aren't you looking? Sam, why aren't you looking? Because I gave you 12 bucks for a tip the other day. Is that why? I, I, I thought about it afterwards. I'm like, dude, I hope that was 20%. Whatever. whatever. But, but why aren't you looking? Jack, why aren't you looking? Because I ain't got, you ain't got $100 bills to tap on. My wife looked up and said, what did you do? But now what if I were to say Oprah came early this morning? You're like, well, I know it ain't come. But what if, what if, you know, Bill Gates or Oprah came. And I said, well, they take $100 bills. How many of y'all be looking out? Because they have the means to do it. 
Me, your notes will lie because I ain't got the means to do it. But if someone with the means to do it makes a promise, dude, isn't it not worth at least looking? <laughs> and and, and Zachary's like, yeah, I don't have the means to make this baby, so I, I don't think it can happen. God's still going to make the baby, but I want to show you, he doesn't get to enjoy the promise the way Mary did because of unbelief. And that's what unbelief does. God gives us incredible promises, but when we don't believe him, we miss the blessing. We don't have the peace. We don't have the joy. We don't get to enjoy the promise. Because look what happens in here. Well, this ain't going to happen. I'm old my wife's old. And I don't think abortion happens yet. And behold, you will be. So he said, you want a sign? Uh, oh, wait, we skipped one. Go back one, go back one. Maybe I did work. Oh, here it is. Here's my favorite verse. He says, how do I know it's going to happen? Look at this verse 19. This is a cool verse. The angel answered him. And you know what he said? JT, he said, how do I know this is the truth? And he said, I am Gabriel. I was just a second ago in the presence of God Almighty. Who are you to question this? How dare you question this? I was just with God, and God gave me a promise for you. That's good news. And now you're asking me, how am I going to know this? What, is God a liar? Oh my goodness, I was just with God. You want a sign, pal? I'll give you a sign. And again, I'm, I'm being dramatic about this because how many of you ever question the promise of God? God gives us a promise and you're like, well, how am I going to know that's going to happen? Or this is not going to happen in my time. God gives you a promise. God gives you a promise. It's not a matter of if, it's when. And God's timing is in the fullness of time and it's the best time. You don't want it when you want it. You want it when God wants it. And so when God gives a promise, Selma, who do you think you are? I want you to hear that when you blow off a promise, Sophie. Who do you think you are to blow off a promise from God? Is God a liar? Is he ever going to lie to you? Oh, God's not strong enough. He can't pull it off. Right, Sophie? I don't want to make her cry. She almost there. No. <laughs> but literally, if we could be confronted by Gabriel... How often do we blow up promises? God makes promises. That's all I do in my life with people. Is I keep trying to remind you guys and myself of the promises that God has already made. Here's what God said. Here's what he's going to do. Here's what God said. Here's what he's going to do. Hey, hey Gabriel, I, I love that. I am, I am Gabriel. I was right here with God a minute ago to give you this good news. And now you you, in your infinite wisdom, and I'm being sarcastic here, you know, well, you know better than God, and you think it can't happen? Is God short on power and ability? And what are you saying when you blow off a promise from God? Isn't that what you're saying? God can't do this. God's not strong enough to do it. God can't. He didn't know the right way to do it. It's not, because it's not going to be done your way. Dude, who in the world do you think you are blowing off a promise from God? And again, this is what I read for me every time I read it. I, don't, I want you to picture a lunatic like me up here screaming that on behalf of Angel Gabriel every time you blow off one of his promises. Because that's what he says to me. This is God's word. This is God's promise. He said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and bring you this what, Anne? What kind of news? But you have blown it because you don't believe. You think I need you and Bob to be able to pull this off? 
If it, if, no, I don't need you guys. I've given you the privilege to be part of pulling this off. I don't need you, Savannah, to pull this off. I'm just giving you a promise. Man, I want to pull this off, but you don't believe I can do it. Guess what? I'm going to do it anyways. But when you live in unbelief, you see God's promises fulfilled, but you miss the joy. Watch this. So next verse, he says, and behold, you want a sign, pal? You will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Wow. So Terry, instead of walking out of the temple, woohoo, my wife's going to be pregnant. I'm going to be the father, not of just any kid, but the precursor of the Messiah. And oh my, what's God blessed us? You have such an opportunity to give God glory when you believe what he says. But now this dude, is he going to do any of that? No. He's going to walk out of the temple. And they're going to be like, why are you late, man? Why are you late? And he's like, he couldn't see anything. Behold, you'll be silent. You'll be unable to speak till the day that these things take place. Now, God can use that because if you can't talk, you got to do a lot of listening. And maybe God needed to do a little talking to him. He needed to do some listening to be the father of John the Baptist for a short period of time. But he had no joy in this. Because he didn't believe in the word of God. God fulfills his promises, but if you don't believe, you miss that joy. He said, you're not going to be able to speak till the time these things take place. Because, listen, you think I'm making this up a lie? It says, because you did not what? Believe what? God's word. You robbed yourself of joy because you didn't believe God's word. God says everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. I don't care what Bob Marley says. God, everything's going to be all right. It's going to be, you read God's word. It's full of promises. And they're not dependent upon you. They're dependent upon him fulfilling them. We got to believe that. So he said, you didn't believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. You're just going to not get to enjoy it. And so the people were waiting for Zechariah. They were wondering, why is he delayed? It would have been really cool if he could have come out and said, Woo, I got great news for all of you. But he couldn't. And when he came out, look at this in verse 22. He came out. Jay-Z. And when he came out, there we go. He was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and but he remained mute. And here's the saddest verse in all of this passage. Look at this verse 24. After these, uh, it says, and when his time of service was ended, how does it end? What does it say? <laughs> Nobody's heard from God in five, 400 years. No priest in 500 years. He gets spoken to by God Almighty. He's bringing, he's going to have a son who's going to be, be the, the forerunner to the Messiah. The great, and it means Israel's going to get a Messiah. The greatest news they've had in 400 years. And because he didn't believe, he doesn't get to say anything. And so when his service is over, what did he do? How anticlimactic. You believe his word, you can brag on his word. You say, watch what God's going to do in this. Watch what God, watch what God's going to, I don't know what God's going to do, but he's going to do something. And I want everybody to know when God is going to do it. God promised this. I don't know when, but I don't know how, but I know he's going to do it. And then when it gets done, everybody, wow, how did you know it was going to rain Noah? <laughs> well, God told me. But so often our unbelief leads us to not have the joy. And guess what? 
after our service, we just walk home. What a sad verse. God wants to be glorified. He wants you to become more like him. After these days, so check this out, we're done. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden. All right, so I remember Tom laughing about this last year when I preached on all of this. But, you know, sometimes communication between a husband and wife is, is not all that great. Would anybody agree with that? It's, it's hard. God puts opposites together. And it's something that he makes you full, have to be full of the Holy Spirit. But can you imagine Zachariah now going home and telling his old wife without being able to speak, <laughs> without being able to, can you imagine him telling him, hey, we're supposed to have a baby and there's nothing about a supernatural birth, you know, talked about here. Can you imagine him going home and telling his wife, this is what we got to do because we got to have a baby and all this. He did without being able to speak in any of this. After these days, his wife did conceive in the normal, natural way. Is that not a miracle for them? Absolutely. And for five months, when she wasn't showing, she kept herself hidden. Not because she didn't believe in God and what God was doing, but watch what she was doing for the five. Plus, if she'd have been around for five months out in public saying, I'm pregnant, they would have probably said, you're a loony then. Here, we're going to put you away. But in that time, instead, during the five months, look what she says. She, next verse, 25. Thus, the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my rush. So for the first five months, she hung out in prayer with God Almighty, glorying in what God did. And after five months, what's going to, be, what's going to happen after five months, y'all? She's going to look like me. <laughs> I'm just saying, after five months, I, you know, hey, I got a food baby right here. <laughs> it's like, no, after five months, there's going to be no denying. It's like, whoa. And there's going to be proof to everybody, and God gets to be glorified. She believed. What a beautiful picture. But again, the point in this is look who we're getting. It was the greatest news anyone could ever have, but by unbelief, it's still going to happen, but they miss their joy. Believe God's word. Just go believe. Go read it and believe what it says. And like, well, that isn't how I feel. I don't care. This is what God's word says. You know what? This is who you are. This is what you have in Christ. This is, go read his word and believe it. Because if you don't get in his word, you're going to believe everything this God-forsaken tribulation world is going to share with you. The world is being prepared to be destroyed right now. That's what God is doing. This is not our home. Go live, live in his word, not in this world. Invest in his word, not in this world. And, and, and do whatever it is he wants you to do. But believe what he has to say. Because if he's going to make a promise, he's going to keep it. Whether you get joy out of it or not, it's dependent on you believing in it. Let's pray. Father, I pray that there's somebody here that doesn't know Jesus personally, intimately. Don't have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ the way that they would have an intimate relationship with a spouse, with a person. Father, I pray that you would give them the desire to have that intimate relationship with you. That God Almighty wants to have an intimate relationship with us. What a beautiful thing that is. What a wonderful opportunity. So if they have the desire to have that relationship, Father, um, give them the ability to be able to do that. I already know you have. So, Father, just give them the grace that they can't refuse to be able to surrender themselves to you and have that relationship. 
But Father, remind us of situations where we believed your word and we had joy. Remind us of situations where we didn't believe your word and we were robbed of your joy. Help us to live in, in, in such a way that you would be glorified and we'd become more like you. And you often do that through waiting. Like Ben and Kelly's adventure that Ben's going to plan for her and every husband here is going to plan for their wife for Christmas. <laughs> That's just my opinion. That's not Holy Spirit, but just like that. If you trust the person planning it, you don't have to know all the details. If you know the person planning it loves you and wants the best for you, you don't have to know all the details. In fact, the more of a surprise it is, the better it actually is. How did you know? Father, because you know everything, that's how you know. Help us live in your word and fall more in love with you each day by knowing how much you love us so we can just trust you because you're a big, mighty God, as we'll learn next week through Mary. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name.